I know that most of you know who the Hostetler family are. You know who Caleb Hostetler is. About a year and a half ago, in September of 2018, Caleb Hostetler was diagnosed with leukemia. After treatments spanning about a year into September of 2019, there was no leukemia left in his body that was detectable. And then after that, there were complications. And uh, through a series of events, the doctors discovered another very, very rare form of cancer uh, in Caleb's body. So rare that there's no protocol for treatment. There haven't been enough cases in the world even to, to formulate some course of, of agreed upon treatment. This last Monday, I met with Delton. You guys know who Delton Hostetler is, Caleb's dad. And we were talking about the process and what was going on and the next steps for the family. And Delton happened to mention to me that the night before, so a week ago today, last Sunday night, he had had the opportunity to preach at a Brazilian church. And he started sharing with me just very briefly what he had preached at that church, what he had shared. And it had to do some with the journey that he and his family have been walking through together with their son, Caleb. And as he shared, I was convinced right then. I was like, this needs to be shared with your family, with Delton, your family, the family of the Hostetlers, the faith family here at Calvary, their home church and their support base. So I've asked Delton to bring a word from the Lord this morning and to share with us from scripture, but also from their lives. So Delton, if you would come, he'll share more details too about what Caleb is, is facing. We didn't plan to dress alike. Um, I saw that this morning. Even though, but thank you very much for being yeah. here, for sharing with us. Thank you, Nathaniel. Uh, church, it's really good to be here this morning, uh, to have the opportunity to share with you all. Uh, Fernie and the children were here in the early service. Uh, our oldest son, Joshua, is going through the sickness that the youth group all caught together. And so he stayed at home and uh, Fernie and the other children returned at home so that he wouldn't be there uh, by himself and so that we, uh, I could be here to be able to share with you uh, this morning. Uh, some of you might not know uh, me, uh, I think the majority do, uh, but uh, I work as a missionary with ABBA and I work with children, adolescents, their families who are in situations of risk. And we've been here now in Brazil uh, for about 11 years and uh, my wife and I, we have five children together. Uh, this word that I'm going to share this morning uh, isn't uh, the easiest one for me to talk about, so I just appreciate you all uh, even lifting up prayers for me while you uh, sit there today and, and uh, hear some of what, and, and we hear together uh, what God is saying right now, because God speaks to us individually, but he also speaks to us corporately and gives us time together just to recap a little bit of what Nathaniel shared. 
Caleb was diagnosed, my middle son, uh, with leukemia back in September of 2018, and we had gone through those number of treatments, um, walking together even with Gustavo and Lucicia, with their son who has also struggled with this. Uh, Gustavo was someone who came, I talked to him that very first night of the very first diagnosis, and they had already been through that, and it was so good to have a brother to share with me uh, through that and explain the process of what was going to happen and how it was going to come. And so everything sort of went according to plan until September of 2019 when we were winding down the major treatments and then all of a sudden a, a fever showed up and uh, we ended up in the hospital again uh, trying to understand where this big fever was coming from, this high fever. And through a series of several weeks in which the doctors thought they had the problem here and then thought it was this, uh, came to this diagnosis of a, of a sarcoma uh, in, in Caleb's body. Uh, I think that was the last time that I was here uh, on the stage uh, and shared with you on a Sunday morning of, um, of that diagnosis. And I also shared the verse, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. That was Psalm 29.10. And uh, as we moved on through the next few weeks of that flood uh, that we were experiencing, and Caleb with a lot of different pains in uh, the liver, that was specifically where the cancer was hitting, and then also in some of the bones. And then toward the end of that 40 days that we spent in the hospital uh, with ex really extreme headaches as well. Um, and for you all to be standing with us in prayer, because I shared with you here, and then you were all praying for us, it was such a support. I look back on that time, and, and we needed that to be able to get through. And then to see what God did, uh, which was in that specific situation to bring a doctor from a long ways away who happened to be there at the hospital, Einstein Hospital, on a Monday morning, and our doctor crossed paths with this person, and our doctors have, had done everything, and, and this doctor, um, who has a lot of experience and is well-known in this area, said, well, I think you should try this. And it was an unconventional medicine to use for that. And that day, the response was immediate, and the headache stopped. And within six days, the fevers were gone, and we were able to leave the hospital. Uh, we've been home since then, and you guys have been aware of that in accompanying us. And uh, so we saw God work. We saw him at work in that situation. He's done a series of three cycles of chemo now since then. Uh, each one uh, had, uh, of the initial two, had brought real reductions, really good response in the level of cancer that he was had. And then this, this last cycle, um, we did the PETCHI exam uh, this last week, and it showed that it had just stabilized. Um, so it hadn't brought a further um, reduction, and we hadn't reached um, remission yet for the cancer. But we're going now into transplant, and uh, we do that now on Tuesday morning, so we just really ask your prayers for this process. Um, God has been really with us, and I'm going to share a little bit about that right now. So take your Bibles and open with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to look at the story of the paralytic together. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. It says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. 
And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anyone like this. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, this is your words, and we read here in the start of this passage that in this moment, Jesus himself was speaking your word. And we know that truth and life come to us through your word, and you've written it down, and it's ours to have and to cherish all these years later. And so as we receive your word this morning, I pray that you would just allow me to communicate clearly about what it is that you want to say here this morning, and this word would find its place as an arrow in the heart of each person here. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. We're going to look together this morning uh, at three of the four characters that appear in this story. And so there's the paralytic, there's his four friends, there's the religious leaders, the doctors of the law, and there's also Jesus uh, in this story. And so we're going to look at three of them. We're going to leave the religious leaders and the uh, doctors of the law mostly to the side and look at the paralytic and the friends and also Jesus in this situation. And news of healing, when it happens, spreads quickly. And we have a desire uh, to respond in those situations. And you have this situation where Jesus had gone around and was healing, and you have this reaction of people coming to him to receive the healing uh, that he could give. And it makes sense, I think, when we stop to consider the situation that the paralytic was in. You know, today we have a lot of resources available to us. Uh, amazing things, amazing tests that can be done to help us figure out what's going on. But in that situation, in this man's reality right there, there were no hospitals and there were no neurosurgeons, there were no physiotherapists. Uh, debilitating is this paralysis, the situation that he was in, and he didn't have access to any of those things while he was in his situation. And as he was going through this, I don't know for sure, um, but if we stop to think about what must he have felt like um, while he was facing this, lying on his mat, 
Maybe he had a lot of bed sores that he was facing, staring at the ceiling, um, dependent on others around him. Being dependent on others for everything around you is not an easy situation to be in. Loneliness, maybe desperation, maybe despair that he was going through. Emotions and conditions that are difficult and were extending over time. So he was, he was in this situation. He had this physically, but if we think about it, some of the feelings and the thoughts that I've just shared right there, we can maybe identify with, because I think there are paralyses that happened that are not of the physical body, but they're of the soul. And so maybe there's someone here that's here this morning that has gone through the death of someone close, and you know what that feels like after that period of time. Uh, perhaps a separation, perhaps a divorce, perhaps a long-term illness. Um, oftentimes, sometimes, things not seen so much on the outside, but that are going on inside of us. And we can identify that with that. Uh, but then, in the middle of that intensity and the overwhelmingness of this, uh, this man had something that maybe some of us have had in some of the situations that he was in. He had these four men who were around him, uh, these four friends who had stuck with him through all of the situation, who hadn't uh, given up on him, on his situation. And it has been very powerful for Fernie and I and our family in the middle of what we faced and gone through to as we face what we face, and as I've shared with different ones of you, to see literally physical expressions of suffering on the faces of some of you as you felt deeply what we've gone through. We've had this experience of having friends with us who have cared for us, who have walked with us. Think with me a little bit about their persistence in this situation, right? They couldn't just dial in the aplicativo to call the Uber to come and pick them up to take them to see Jesus. This was a bed that he was laying on top of, and they had to pick him up, and they had to go somewhere physically in order to get to Jesus. Uh, they got there late. Makes sense, right? Everyone else uh, who maybe was going in that situation wasn't needing to take someone else along with them. Uh, they went and just could just take themselves and arrive there first. And when these friends arrived there with this man on this mat and reached that place, the Bible says that there wasn't even enough room to get through, uh, to be able to get in through the door. Uh, but they didn't give up. They were persistent in that moment. And so they figure out, well, if we can't get to him through the crowd, I mean, that was a pretty tight crowd, right? Although they did have a big bed, we're going to go up on the roof. And so they kind of calculated where Jesus might be at, and they go up the ladder or go up the stairs, whatever they need to, to be able to take their friend to Jesus. And they start digging through the roof. Um, that's persistence. Uh, someone else's property there. They didn't care. They were going to get this, their friend, give him the chance for the healing that he needed. 
And if you can imagine that moment as the hole is opening and the dust is falling and the sun may be coming through and shining in Jesus' eyes at that moment, uh, it says that Jesus looked and he saw their faith. Faith. What did Jesus see in that moment? Hebrews 1.11 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Then verse 16 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In that moment, these men were motivated to persist because they had a belief that Jesus could give their friend what they needed, and so they acted on it. They did something about it. Their perspective, their look toward Jesus was a look of faith. And that's a question that I think God wants to ask to us this morning. When Jesus looks at us, what does he see? When we lock eyes with Jesus, does he see faith in your eyes? Does he see faith in my eyes? And note that this faith that they had, these men, wasn't even for themselves. It was for someone else, their friend. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith comes to us as a gift. I think it's important to just notice in these verses here that these men were not some giants of the faith who had known Jesus all this time. This wasn't a mature faith, possibly, that had been built up over a period of time. This was a simple and a pure faith that these men were responding to Jesus with right in the middle of that situation. Sometimes we can get distracted by the situations around us, by the possibilities, by the possible interventions that can be done. And we can forget that God calls us first and foremost to look to him with that faith. James talks about faith without works being dead. Obviously, in this situation, we have faith full of works. They were going to the intensity of this. And then I want to take us a step beyond the question of God looking at us and seeing faith and ask us the question also about this situation because I said that their faith, these men's faith, wasn't even just for themselves, but it was for someone else. And I want to ask you the question, who is God possibly calling you to take to Jesus? Because we come to know Jesus, those who know the Lord, and we're walking with him. He doesn't want it to end there. The heart of God is that all would come to know him. And so 
who is he asking us to take to him? Um, be the first to confess to you that uh, when this whole situation started happening, I was not happy about spending a lot of time in the hospital. Hospitals aren't some place that I like to spend time at. And as we looked at the situation, we've gone to the hospital probably hundreds of times now at this point. And yet the Lord was saying to us in that situation, this is where I want you to be. As a missionary, I spend a lot of my time um, in the communities um, with people that God has called me to be with and minister to. And then Yvonne Macy writes me very early on in that process, and she says, Delton, um, you've been called to minister to the poor, but right now God is calling you there to hospital, the hospital, Hospital Einstein, to minister to people who have more means in life, and God's calling you to be there. Uh, it was talking to Fernie about it, you know, that was the first time, and then the second time uh, happened and came around, and God very clearly said to my wife, Fernie, as she was there, she really sensed, God was saying, Fernie, I'm going to take care of Caleb, and I want you to look around you and see the needs that are around you and respond to the needs that are around you. It's very um, challenging to us as people, I think, when we see an example of that around us. Uh, thinking about it from just my day-to-day -day and the work that I do with foster care, um, families who take in children who have been damaged so oftentimes by trauma and neglect and abuse, and because of that that they've experienced, their lives are changed, and the years that it can take to repair some of that. And I thought specifically, as I was thinking about an example of this, of a foster family, a couple who took in two boys, eight and 10 years old, um, who just recently went on to an adoptive family after two years together uh, with this foster family. And the way that God called them, it was a very personal thing for them, to take care of these children, face all the difficulties that they would have along that process so that these children could have a chance at a better life. In that situation, for them, they were very clearly called to take these two boys to Jesus. And it was a couple weeks ago when I was talking to the adoptive mom. Here in Sao Paulo, we have a website where the children who might not be very easily adopted, will often have their picture there and a little bit of a phrase about them, and people who are looking to adopt can go there and look on that site and end up having contact. Uh, and I asked her, what was it about those two boys that made you go there? And uh, she said, I was looking down through and I saw something different in their eyes. Uh, she saw, I saw a light in their eyes. And I thought about all the sacrifice that this foster mom and dad had poured into these children, and it was such an example to me of how uh, this happens. When Jesus looks at you, does he see faith? And who is Jesus asking you to take to him? Those are the two questions that I want to ask as we think about these friends, these men who took this paralytic to Jesus. 
And that brings us to Jesus here this morning. Two weeks ago, we were going through a series of heavy meetings uh, leading up to the transplant, uh, which is going to happen. And it was hard decisions about what sort of treatment to use. Um, and there was a lot of conversation about if you do this, there's this percent chance of a cure. And if you do this, then there's this percent chance of collateral effects happening. Um, this type of cancer has this percent chance of etc. And as we look at this story, this man being let down to Jesus, and you can kind of see his arms kind of limp over the top there, and I imagine smaller limbs as an effect of everything that he's been through over these years, and it's startling. The physical aspect, maybe, of someone who's going through this kind of a situation. But Jesus saw something there that was not immediately evident. He saw that this man's deepest sickness was not his paralysis. This man's deepest sickness was his sin. And if you're alive here this morning, and if you're in this room, you have a 100% chance of having this terminal illness, which is sin in your life. Romans 3.23 is very clear, and it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you were born to, it doesn't matter where you were born. All of us have this sickness that goes much deeper than cancer. Because cancer can result in physical death. But this sickness can separate you from God for eternity. I followed back in October because of this situation. And I, and I say this story in all seriousness for us, to, for us to get this. A situation of a gentleman in Ribeirão Preto, uh, here in the interior of Sao Paulo. It was in October, and I had been following the developments in CAR-T therapy for cancer. And that's when they take out the cells, the soldier cells out of your own body, uh, they take the cancer, and they look at the genetics of that, and they re-engineer the cells, the soldier cells, to re-inject them into your body so that they can see the cancer, and they use your body's own defense to go after the cancer. Um, and this gentleman uh, had this first, it was the first time this treatment was done in Latin America, and it was completed, and 20 days after he did this treatment, he was completely cancer-free, on the scans, um, at home. Two months to the day after he did that treatment, he was in an accident at home. 
he had a cranial traumatism on his head, and he passed away. When we face hard things, sometimes we lose sight of the bigger thing that's there beyond us. All of us will face death. All of us face the question of our eternity. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus looked at that man and he said to him, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus went right to the most serious thing that he needed to address right in that moment. And this treatment for this that we face is not like a cancer treatment. It doesn't debilitate the body in order to bring a cure. It doesn't have a partial chance for success and you wonder if it's going to happen or if it's not. When Jesus forgives sins, your sins are forgiven. So simple. So simple, isn't it? But we also need to remember what it cost. Last week, I was right back there in the period after the sermon, and the picture that was in my mind was of Abraham and Isaac when they were on the mountain, and God was asking Abraham to sacrifice his own son. And Abraham, in, to in all of his simplicity of faith there, was following through on what God was asking him to do. And God was saying to me, Delton, are you willing to do that? Do you have that kind of faith in me? I felt physically the pain of that in that moment. And then I understood in a way that I had not understood before what God feels, felt, when he gave his son so that I could walk free, so that I could be healed, so that you could walk free, so that you could be healed. I don't know the future. I don't know the result of all of the, this that we are going through with Caleb. But I know because he has received Jesus as his Savior, and so have I, that that gives us tremendous peace and tremendous hope, and it has given tremendous peace and tremendous hope to various ones of you Have you have gone through those kinds of situations. Numbers of you all prayed for us, especially during those two weeks ago when we were leading up to this. And in one of the conversations with one of the doctors, um, we were actually together with several doctors who know us a while, and we were meeting for the first time the doctor from the transplant team who were going to be with us. And she was formal, and, you know, she's meeting us for the first time and figuring this out. And there were tears in the middle of that moment, but there was also joy, even some levity, sometimes where we could laugh together, 
how? How is that possible? And I could just tell she was sort of watching us. And at the end, she said, you guys are really okay, aren't you? <laughs> it's because of what Jesus does for us. Because it's deep. And it's down there. And it's a basis for us and for what we need. I want to point out one other thing as I bring this to a close. Uh, and that is just to think about how this man might have heard those words, your sins are forgiven you. Did he really understand in that moment everything of what Jesus was saying to him? I don't know. Um, but thinking about him and thinking about things I've felt in this situation, when you face hard things like this, it's easy to think, did I do something wrong? Is God mad at me? Have I sinned in some area? And some self-evaluation is necessary. But it's also very true that sin and suffering come to us as a function of being in this world and being in a world that has fallen. And when Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven, I think he heard in that, I'm not angry with you. I love you. I care about you. Child, you're mine. And I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that from this message. Those of you who might need to hear that today. We still hurt in the middle of this. Spent time this week talking with Joel Rast. Lost his wife, Cindy, a few months ago, and we've walked through them with that. And he talked about the hurt that is still really there. We hurt. I talked to this foster mom that I mentioned just this last week on Thursday. I was with her, and she said, I didn't know it would hurt this much. We're human. We go through that hurt. But we have an understanding and a rock that God is with us and that he is walking with us through all of these things that we face. I said I wouldn't touch on the religious leaders, and I'm going to bring them up just briefly here right now because it was fascinating for me to read the first verse of this account in Luke. We read from Mark. There were Pharisees and doctors of the law, first verse, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Isn't it fascinating that the man who was healed that day was the paralytic. The power of the Lord was present there to heal. The power of the Lord is present here with us in this room today to heal. One man literally got up and walked out of there after not having been able to walk. Jesus healed him physically, healed him spiritually. The power of the Lord was present to heal. And other men that were there weren't healed. They didn't walk out of that. Faith wasn't in them for that situation. I don't know how all of this situation is going to end, but I do know that Christ has been clear in his word about what our diagnosis is and what we can do about it. And I'm praying and looking and learning about faith and looking to Jesus 
for his physical healing for my son as we support each other for the various ones of us who are in these kinds of situations. And I'm trusting God that he in his goodness with his amazing completeness and ability to see all things will do what is truly best in this situation. But I invite you as we move on to the rest of the service to understand that Jesus is there offering healing to all of us. The question is, what will we do with it? Thank you.